uh, for children's church grades one through three dismissed. Our scripture reading this morning is found in First Peter, chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five, and in the pew Bible that's on page uh, eight hundred and fifty-eight. 858 in the Pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. It was on Veterans Day in Boulder, Colorado, that a man parked his car in a metered area Noting a sign that said Sundays and holidays accepted, he didn't put any money in the meter, but his car was ticketed. So he immediately went to the city hall to find out why his car was ticketed today since it was Veterans Day. He discovered that the city hall was closed for the holiday. So he immediately went over to the police department where he asked an officer why he was ticketed today since it was Veterans Day. And the police officer began to tell him that Veterans Day wasn't a holiday as far as parking was concerned. So the man said, well, okay, Uh, and he reluctantly agreed to pay the fine. And he took out some money and he tried to hand it to the officer. But the officer refused his money. He says, you can't pay your fine today, he said. City Hall is closed today because it's a holiday. Now, how absurd is that? It's crazy. You talk about injustice. I mean, wouldn't that just burn you? Wouldn't that burn you? Be honest. You'd be saying, that's not fair. Don't you hate it when it looks like someone got the better of you? Don't you hate looking like someone got the advantage? Don't you secretly dislike that at that moment when someone seems to get an advantage on you, that as a follower of Christ, that God has called you to not return hurt for hurt? Don't you secretly wish you weren't one of his just right at that moment? Right, yeah. 
A pastor one Sunday was speaking on turning the other cheek. And the preacher stressed the importance of never trying to get even. Well, that afternoon, the youngest boy and the family came into the house crying. And between sobs, he told his mother how he had kicked his brother, and his brother had kicked him back in return. Well, I'm sorry that you hurt, the mother said, but you shouldn't go around kicking people. And the tearful child replied, but the preacher said he wasn't supposed to kick me back. (laughs) It seemed fair. What do you do when you've been kicked? What do you do when you've been hurt? Hurt by by someone's biting sarcasm. Hurt by someone's silence. Hurt by a friend's betrayal. Hurt by your boss's mistreatment. Hurt by someone's lack of appreciation. I mean, how are we to respond when things just aren't fair? According to one study, the average teenager uses the phrase, it's not fair, eight times a day. Now, do you ever wonder how these studies come up with this stuff? I don't know. They follow all teenagers around? Some of you are saying, that's too low. (laughs) You hear, it's not fair that I have to clean my room on a Saturday. It's not fair that I don't get to do what my friends are doing. It's not fair what the teacher expects of me. Well, as it's been said, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get your boss. (laughs) Peter's going to go there. And if only fairness was kid stuff, I googled the simple phrase, when life is not fair, and it yielded a staggering 3,910,000 results. So you can see what I was doing all week. It took a while to get through that. Just kidding. How are we to respond as followers of Jesus Christ when things just aren't? If you live in this world, and you do, you will experience some unjust suffering. Life is unjust. Upon accepting an award, the late Jack Benny once remarked, I really don't deserve this award, but I have arthritis, and I don't deserve that either. It's true. And yet we all have this set of beliefs as to how we think we should be treated. And that isn't so bad, but what happens when one of those beliefs are violated? We're all into rights. What a society values, perhaps more than anything else, is equal rights. In one sense, that really is the new morality. If you don't give me what I think is due, I will fight back. I will do whatever it takes to make you pay. You can't treat me like this. We are a people in the society conditioned to rebellion and fighting for what is rightfully ours and selfishness at the core. And we must pause and ask, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what should be our response? And that's the subject Peter takes up next. It's a very relevant section to us today. And there's two reasons why I believe this is such a potent word for us today. Today, here as a church, but throughout the churches in America. Two reasons why I think this is such a potent word for us. First reason is that there seems to be a lot of people, including Christians, that justify their anger, justify their critical spirit, and justify other sinful responses by the wrongs that have been done to them. 
So when you confront them about their bitter spirits or you confront them about slanderous words about others, they immediately tell you how badly they've been mistreated or, or have been hurt or, or have been let down. I remind you of one of the two overall principles I gave you at the outset of this study. That principle, I don't know if you remember or not, suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices. Suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices. It might be an explanation, but it's not an excuse. And today's passage really drives that truth home. Now, second reason I believe that this, this word this morning is so potent and relevant to our lives is because of the great need today for a reliance on God's supernatural power to soar above what everyone else is doing and to soar above what we would label our natural instincts. In other words... We cannot survive and thrive as a church if we don't grow in greater reliance on God's supernatural power. We can't. I cannot thrive and survive as a father, as a pastor, as a husband, as a citizen in the community, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm not living in daily total dependence on his grace and power. Is there any greater test for that when confronted with unjust suffering. When at that moment, when at that moment, everything inside of us and everything the world has told us is to return hurt for hurt. Can we live supernaturally above that? Loved ones, let's live the miracle of not returning hurt for hurt. People will notice Here's the bottom line for you this morning. Here it is. There is something radical. There's something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. There's something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. And if we are to live life on purpose... We will have to be very intentional rather than reactionary in choosing our response when hurt. It means we're going to have to go against the grain of the culture and be cognizant as to how the culture has influenced us and as how the culture has conditioned us. And what we find here in this section of Scripture flies in the face of contemporary wisdom. I believe it was Nietzsche who said, revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. And that's why we've all adopted as our national slogan, I'll sue. And sadly, this attitude has crept into the church today. I don't have time for it, but I could provide you with illustration after illustration of true accounts of believers suing each other and worse, justifying it. And I ask, what is that said to a watching world? It says we're just like them. Using their weapons. Now, I want to remind you of of last week just for a moment. In addressing how we are to, to live as citizens in this world under even ungodly authorities. We're told in verse 14, uh, excuse me, verse 15. 1 Peter 2, 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. 
In other words, we have been given a strategy here in verse 15 for silencing the critics of Christianity. Live in such a way that makes our evangelism believable. And that is the heart, at the heart of all this discussion around submission. Because Peter now applies this pattern of submission to the workplace. Now, for outline purposes, for outline purposes, we have the command, then we have the calling, and then lastly, we have the Christ example. We have the command, the calling, and the Christ example. Let's first of all look at the command. So look with me. If you're not there in 1 Peter chapter 2, turn there, please. I want you to see verse 18. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. It says, Slaves, submit. 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 Just the mention of that word sends all kinds of strong feelings throughout this room, doesn't it? We hear the word submit and we instinctively go, oh yeah, not me. You can't tell me what to do. It's kind of like what we do or want to do when we come across those words, do not touch. Right? Reminds me of the do not touch sign that was posted at a museum which was having no success whatsoever in keeping patrons from touching and soiling priceless furniture and art. So one clever museum employee replaced the sign do not touch with ones that read, caution, wash hands after touching. (laughs) It took care of the problem. It took care of the problem. Peter doesn't dance around it. He doesn't give us different words here. He says, submit. And it's not only the word submit that invokes all kinds of feelings. So it is with the people Peter is addressing here, slaves. I mean, it's difficult to read these opening words without the history of our country's horrific age of slavery entering our minds. Now, we need to make uh, at least one distinction from its North American counterpart of what we see here. I think it's appropriate to do so. In the ancient Roman world, there were three classes of people. Now, I'm oversimplifying this a little bit just so that we grab it and don't spend too much time here. But there are three classes of people. There were, first of all, the Roman citizens who had full rights and all protection under the law. Then the second group, there were those who would be considered the freedmen who enjoyed a great deal of autonomy but still had certain restricted protection. It wasn't across the board like the Roman citizens. And then thirdly, there were the servants. The word translated slaves here in the NIV, though rightly could be translated slave, it's better to translate that word servants. Because it really speaks to servants in a household. There really is no direct parallel to anything in our day, but the employer-employee relationship we have today is about as close as you're going to get, and I think it's an appropriate one. You see, these servants were to be treated properly, and there was even some Roman legislation regulating the treatment of them. But like any system, there were abuses. But overall, these these servants were were well-treated, though were considered to be of lower status than the others in Roman society. And so the early church, now get this, the early church had to wrestle, and so do we, 
through what it meant to be spiritually equal, yet not socially equal. You see, for any business and organization and church, etc., there are those who lead, there are those who are in charge, there are those who have been given different responsibilities, and to not have them there just invites chaos and, and, and confusion and disorder of all kinds. And the assumption is often made that where there's spiritual equality, there must also be equal rights. Not so. I don't think you find Jesus or Paul or Peter advocating equal rights. The slaves were one in Christ with their masters, but when they went back to work, back to their social structure, the slaves were to what? Submit. And to make us cringe some more, Peter goes on to say in verse 18, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Get this, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Really? I mean, submission is hard enough, but add even to those who are harsh makes this nearly impossible. Exactly. It is impossible when left to ourselves. Because our natural tendency is to return hurt for hurt to live with an I'll get you attitude. Now, the immediate application of this command is to the workplace. What do we do when our boss isn't treating us so well? But the specific command is broadened. It's not only to employees, it's broadened to, with what Peter says next in verse 19. This is for all of us now, not just to those we work for. Verse 19, Peter answers this question that applies to every one of us. What happens when a believer is on the receiving end of unjust criticism and mistreatment? And he says in verse 19, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit? To receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. We need to let these words sink in. Do you see what this is saying? When you do right, you will suffer. When you do right, you will be criticized. When we do right, our situation may not get any better. When we do right, people may not even notice. When we do right, people may not even appreciate us. When we do right, someone may come along and say something hurtful. And the world would come alongside of that and would applaud some spiteful response. Go get them. Even some Christians have done that. You don't have to take that. Go get them. But don't we live for someone else's applause? When I see these words commendable before God, I picture God standing up and applauding. Kind of how Chris is noted about in this case with Stephen and Jesus is standing. And Jesus is standing over Stephen's stoning because he's giving praise to God and he's applauding. Same here. God's applauding. It's commendable to God. He's applauding you. Why is he applauding? Because it shows God off. It says to the watching world, there is something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. 
That's the command. Secondly, we come to the calling. The calling. Now, verse 21 is quite interesting. Verse 21 is quite interesting. It says, to this you were called. Now, I think it's interesting because I don't think we often look at our Christianity in this light. We will be ignored, Peter says. We will be criticized. We will be hurt. We will be unappreciated. We will be treated unjustly. We will suffer for doing good. And Peter says in verse 21, to this you were called. What? To this I was called? You know, I, I, I must have missed, not been listening very carefully when the gospel was shared with me because I missed that. Somehow I didn't read it in the booklet, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Wasn't there. But Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. To this we were called. I mean, where did we ever get this notion that the Christian life is supposed to be easy? Where did we ever get this idea That the Christian life is all about health and all about wealth. Where did we get this gospel from? Not from the Bible. But many love this gospel. I mean, it will preach. That is here in the United States. Not so much in third world countries and other struggling parts of the world. It doesn't preach so well there. Believer, this is our calling to suffer. Now, I want you to see, though, that this is liberating. (laughs) This isn't bondage. This is liberating. To live with an awareness that as followers of Jesus Christ, we will be misunderstood. And to live with an awareness that it is our calling to suffer for Jesus' sake frees us. It absolutely frees us from the misery that we so often bring upon ourselves because we take matters into our own hands rather than leaving it in his. It's liberating to live in this point, at this place. It should not surprise us when we suffer for doing good. To this we were called. But more than that, knowing no one else is part of our calling, it's not to hurt back, not to seethe in bitterness because you're not allowed to hurt back. Elton Hubbard put it this way. He said, the final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure contemptuous treatment without resentment. And we live this way. We show off God and his mighty power and it becomes a golden opportunity to display submission to God. Let me ask you this question. Is it more important that you uphold the credibility of the church or get what you think you have coming to you? Which is more important? Is it more important to you to show the integrity of Christianity or show that you have equal rights? Would you rather show off God or get even? Because there's something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. Let's live that way. How do we live that way? Well, it comes to our third heading in the Christ example. The Christ example. We have the command. We have the calling. How do we do this? Here's the example. Christ's example, continue with me in verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. And the rest of of chapter 2, Peter shows us Christ in three dimensions. 
three dimensions. He, he first presents Christ as the standard for our suffering. As the standard for our suffering. The word example in verse 21 is, is a wonderful word. It literally means writing under. A child, for example, in a basic writing class would learn the letters of the alphabet by getting some letters already printed on a sheet, which over his sheet, this sheet, would be a piece of tracing paper. So you had the letters underneath, you had the tracing paper on top. And it was the responsibility of the child and learning the alphabet to faithfully trace over the pattern that was underneath. Christ has given us the pattern, the standard. It says we're to follow in, in his steps. That means in his tracks, his line of footprints that he's left us. What standard did he leave us? Well, the gospel tells us Jesus was struck in the face. Now, someone might be able to bear up when, when struck once in the face. But Jesus was struck again and again. Worse still. I couldn't stand this. He was blindfolded and then hit. Then he was mocked. He received not only physical beating, he received this verbal abuse. I mean, you think think your suffering is unjust? You You think you don't deserve to be treated a certain way? You think it's all unfair? Well, it might be. But we are called to unjust suffering because Jesus left those footprints for us to follow. Now, can you and I do this in our own power? No way. Left to myself, I will retaliate. Left to myself, I will call out a threat. Left to myself, I will hurt you if you hurt me, and I'll justify it. Left to myself. This is why to speak of Jesus as an example, an only example, doesn't go far enough. To try and follow in his steps, as as a famous writer wrote years ago, it can't be done. Now, I passed over rather quickly two very significant words in verse 21. Two little words that change everything in your thinking, living each day, and your Christian faith and practice. Now, if you mark up your Bibles, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to circle these two words in verse 21. Let me read verse 21 again. I'll leave out those two words, and you'll see the difference it will make. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What were the two words? For you or for us. Circle those two words. Peter is not a moralist. He isn't saying that you need to get your act together. And the way you get your act together is to simply follow Jesus' example. He isn't saying that. You know, wear the bracelet, ask the question, what would Jesus do? And then on your way you go. That's only partly true. Christ suffered not leaving you just an example, but Christ suffered for you. Get that right first. For you he suffered. Get that into our heads and then, and then follow in his steps. Believe it, don't ever attempt even for a minute to follow in Jesus' steps without the significance of Christ as our sin bearer truly gripping our hearts. 
Because Peter not only presents Christ as the standard, but also, and more importantly, as our sin bearer. Our sin bearer. Christ did not live and die simply to show people how to live a good life. He lived and died to bring healing. I believe the spiritual healing is suggested here in this passage. He brings spiritual healing to the broken, to those who are not well. He lived and died to bring salvation to the sinful for you. And then Peter elaborates on that, verse 24. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus bore our sins in his body. And what, needed to be, what was it that needed to be true in order for Jesus to be our sin bearer? Well, go back to verse 22. He committed no sin. Peter reaches back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, and he says, Jesus committed no sin. He had to be that way if he was going to be our sin bearer. Now, Christ is our sin bearer is a reference to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Just bear with me a moment. I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but you can look it up in that dreadful book. I'm kidding. That dreadful book, Leviticus, <laughs> chapters 4 and then chapter 17. If you ever read through the Bible, you go, Genesis, good. Exodus, good. You go, Leviticus, you slow down. You hope the fan's on, just kind of turns the pages. Read Leviticus chapter 4. Read Leviticus chapter 17, the whole book. The picture is this. Sin was um, pictured as a burden. The priest would, br- would bring in a pure animal without defect and place his hand upon the head of the animal. By doing this, it was symbolizing the transfer of his guilt or the guilt of those for whom he was representing. The animal would then be sacrificed. That's how God dealt with the sin under the old covenants. The lamb was sacrificed in place of the people. Jesus, the lamb of God, became our sacrifice. He became our scapegoat. He took our place and bore our sin on his body. And the sinlessness of Christ is absolutely fundamental to his sacrifice. For Peter said he committed no sin. It's a loaded theological statement. Only one who was sinless could bear the sin of mankind and satisfy the wrath of a holy, perfect God. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And so Peter then presents Christ as not only the standard and the sin bearer, but thirdly, the shepherd in verse 25. And I'm only going to mention it and move on here. Because I want to get real practical in the here and the time that we have left. But in verse 25, I'll read it. You can read it later in your small group. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But I want to ask, I want to get practical here in the time we have left. How do we put together the command of submission, the calling to suffer unjustly without returning hurts, and the example of Jesus Christ that we can endure unjust suffering? Because there's something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. Well, how do we experience this supernatural quality in our lives? How is this grace that exceeds our human instinct play out when we leave this morning? Loved ones, we need to get a handle on this. Because other than, than sexual immorality, I can't think of anything else that is crippling the church today. This is it. We've returned hurt for hurt. We've justified all over the place. All over the place. Myself included. 
Just so you know, this is for me. I had to write a letter, not to anybody in this church. You don't know them. I had to write a letter out to say, this has been me. I've been bitter. It's wrong. It's for me. I justified it. We need to get a handle on this. We need to get a handle on this. Because many believers today are sidelined with bitterness over being mistreated, unappreciated, criticized, wounded, when they were trying to do what was right. And then the scenario of hurt people hurting people is played out over and over and over again to the detriment of the church. I'm not talking about just FBCW, the church in America. So rather than justify your your, your response and justify this response, will you reconsider a better way? There's a better way. What is it? What is the way that we get God's applause? It all boils down to this, and I hope you don't see this as too simplistic. Be mindful of God because he sees. Be mindful of God because he sees. And secondly, hand it over to God. (laughs) Hand it over to God. Leave it to God because he can be trusted. Verse 19 for the first part. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Why? Because he's conscious of God. Conscious of God. What does it mean to be conscious of God? It is to have a trusting awareness of God's presence. It's to have the confidence that God will make all things, all wrongs right because he sees. What does it mean to be conscious of God and mindful of God in the midst of unfair treatment and unjust pain? It's to, it's to refuse to take the path of choices that you justify because you've been hurt, because you're conscious of God. It's to not return hurt with hurt. And I think so often... We miss out on experiencing this supernatural quality in our life because we shortcut the process. We take it into our own hands and we go, good, I got them. And we miss out on this because we had to get them. Let's get this. Has someone lied about you? Has the good you've been done twist, been twisted or rejected? Have you been criticized? How do you make it when your deep sense of justice cries out? Because I don't want you to be indifferent towards justice. How do, we, how do we go on when everything inside of us screams, this is not right? How do we go on loving and thriving when everything inside of us yells, it's not fair? There's a promise to be, to be believed here. Do you believe, do you trust that God sees every wrong done to you knows every hurt, and that he will settle all accounts with perfect justice in his timing. Do we believe that? I mean, really believe that? Then why do we take it in our own hands? Brian, why do you take it in your own hands? Because we're helping God out? I remember reading of one person's response to hurt. He said, I'm not going to get even. I'm going to tell God on you. (laughs) Not bad. He already knows. The point's well taken. See, not only are we to be conscious of God, but secondly, we need to leave it at God, leave it with God. This is the hardest part. Verse 23 instructs us. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Get this. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, I have an invitation for you this morning. This is dissolvable paper. You should have one in your bulletin unless you already used it to blow your nose or something. 
or it fell out and you think, yeah, we don't need this. This, this is for you. It's dissolvable paper. I was going to have you do it here and bring it, but I'm not going to because I want this to be a God thing and not something with emotion and you just respond to it. It doesn't last. I thought that would be wrong. This is dissolvable paper. And there's some extra ones out there in the Northics by the CDs. You can write on this at some point, maybe now or maybe later, in your time with the Lord. You can write on some word, bitterness, resentment, anger, hurt, and put it in this cup. And with some water, we want to get rid of this. We want to get rid of this once and for all. We don't want to carry that around anymore. It begins to dissolve when I hit the cup. It gets cloudy, but it does dissolve. Folks, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do with bitterness, resentment, hurt, pain, woundedness, fill in the blank. The beautiful thing, this is cloudy, not when Jesus does it. It's clean. I want to invite you, I want to invite you to commit to doing this this week before God. If you're holding on to something, loved ones, if you're holding on to something, I'm asking you to write that out. Maybe that sheet isn't, isn't big enough for you. Maybe you need to write a lot more on it. Write it out. Write it out. Put it in a cup and say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And really give it to God. Maybe we need something symbolic of that. This is why I'm doing this. Nothing magical about that. The heart has to be right. Because I pray for you is that you are free men and free women and free children who completely trust that God does the rewarding and that God does the avenging, even those overlooked by others, because nothing escapes God's notice, nothing. Will you lay it down? Will you lay it down? Let it go. Let it go. I'm there too. Will you do that? Because there's something radical, supernatural about a non-retaliating endurance of unjust suffering. Many years ago, there lived a man who was having a successful ministry in a small English village. People would come from all over to hear this man preach from God's word. He was making a tremendous impact in the village. Lives were being saved, and and the whole village and surrounding area was was changing, was being touched and influenced by this this man's presence and his sharing of the gospel, his life. But one day, everything suddenly changed. A young woman came forward and claimed that this preacher had tried to force himself upon her sexually. Oh, the the news spread like wildfire across the countryside. His ministry was finished. His reputation was ruined. And the thing is, it never happened. What this woman claimed was all a lie. He had tried to help this woman, yet she turned on him. And this young preacher suffered deeply with the betrayal of a young woman that he had reached out to and tried to help. He wondered if he could ever recover from this. He couldn't bear, nor could he undo the accusations that were made. But he refused. 
He refused to let bitterness take over his heart. He refused to justify the making of wrong choices in the midst of unjust suffering. And this man, this man who was falsely accused was Oswald Chambers. This man who wondered if he could ever be used by God again. After this, touched millions of people with his top-selling book, My Utmost for His Highest. Here was a man who felt betrayed, was falsely accused, and could certainly have cried out, It is not fair. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let's pray. Lord, you bring the application. It's all about you doing that. However, we need to personalize it this morning. God, will you just not let that one go who needs to deal with us this week? If they need to deal with it, even this morning, take that paper. We'll get, we'll get a glass of water. We'll take care of this. But I pray they'll take that paper, they'll write whatever needs to be written on, truly give it with a heart. It's not, not to get anybody else's notice. Simply because their heart wants to do business with you and say it's time to let this go and let it dissolve and entrust ourselves to you who judges justly. Remind us of that. May we be conscious of you this week as we may suffer, likely will for doing good. Thank you for these words this morning. Your word is truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen.